1: Hello and welcome to a brand new Arseblog Arsecast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thanks for being here as always. This is the second Arsecast in two days. If you want to hear all about the Southampton game, the 1-1 win, I was going to say it feels like a win, the 1-1 draw with Southampton, myself and James had a conversation about the game yesterday, so there is an Arsecast there for you to listen to. If that's what you fancy, if you haven't listened to it already, go back, check it. It's there. It's right there. Just push the button, download, stream, stick it in your ears. It is all there. Today, something a little bit different. I'll be joined in a couple of moments' time by Clive Palmer, who you know from the Arsenal Vision podcast, I'm sure. We're going to talk about... Culture and identity and changing cultures and changing things at football clubs and resistance to that change and how difficult it can be. Dressing room power um, and putting in place structures and plans and strategies and things like that. So that's coming up in just a couple of minutes time. But of course, I think we have to acknowledge one of the most amazing things to happen this week. And no, I'm not talking about Arsenal scoring a goal from open play. It's even more amazing than that. This comes from the midweek games. And they were having one of those, you know, one of the shows where the guys sit around and talk about football while watching the football. And this was Tim Sherwood, former Tottenham player, former Tottenham manager, former Aston Villa manager. You might remember him from such FA Cup finals as 2015. The scene, it's 1-1 between Liverpool and Tottenham. Liverpool have a corner late in the game, and Tim Sherwood, he's not that worried. Not too worried about his corners. I mean, it might come back to bite me here, but I think Tottenham have got the dominant dominancy in the air there, you know, so I'm not sure anyone can get the head on the first ball for Liverpool apart from uh, that uh, one.
0: Uh, oh, Tim! Oh, <laughs> oh it's Firmino goodness. in the 90th minute.
1: Wow, what a header. <laughs> what an incredible header that is. I mean, it's up there with uh, the Steve McLaren versus Iceland thing. And if you don't know what I'm talking about there, just Google Steve McLaren Iceland or put it in YouTube, you will find a clip which will brighten your day. And we all need that right at this moment in time, given what's going on with Arsenal. So thank you very much indeed to Tim Sherwood for the comedy moment of the week. Right, time to get on with the show and a conversation that cropped up this week on Twitter between myself and uh, Clive and uh, Elliot at Yankee Gunner Uh, on twitter was about culture and the idea of culture at a football club whether it's important whether it's necessary whether it is something that we should spend too much time worrying about do we only worry about it when times are good is it a is it an issue when things are going badly but maybe it could also be a reason or part of the reason why things are going badly so with me to talk about all that from the Arsenal vision podcast it's clive palmer hi clive
2: yeah, hello,
1: how are you doing? I'm alright, I'm alright um, you know, I'm looking forward to not talking specifics about Arsenal for just a little while, I'm sure towards the end of this conversation we might bring it back around to to what's happening at Arsenal, um, but are you on board with the idea of culture at a football club being an important thing, a, a crucial fundamental thing and and if so, how do you define culture at a football club?
2: It's a difficult one, Mike. Right? So footballers, they tend to be um, quite robotic in some ways. You know, think it back almost like to the army, it's almost like you have to be certain places at certain times. You've mm. got to be there for training. You've got to be this place, time for your dinner, this time for the meetings. And it's quite structured. And so within a football club, there are, you know, normalties of behaviour. And so a culture literally is you know, a number a number of behaviours by which we live by, mm. right? So, and every club has its own culture. Every, every, every club has its own what's okay, I can do this, what's not okay. Most clubs have a massive fine system. So if you don't do things right, yeah. you get fined, right? Somebody in the dressing room looks after the fines. And it's almost another like the way where the, the players look after the internal culture amongst themselves, which underpins the overall... I don't want to say non-negotiables or ten commandments, whatever you decide they are in your yeah. club, those key d- pillars of your culture, things like, you know, hard work, determination, trust, you know, those sort of those statements mm. above that sit beyond, you know, open communication, respect each other, those sort of real nice, flowery, soft culture statements that sit above and drive those behaviours, right? So And they're brought in by various leaders in the club. So each team has its own culture. And it's really just a list of behaviors. This is okay and this is not okay. This is what we aspire to be within our culture when it's working 100%.
1: Right. So, I mean, you're talking about a team culture there, which I think is quite interesting, and certain things are are expected, set in stone. Professionalism, and you listed off some, and, and you know, things like punctuality uh, are part of that team culture, you know, where everybody should feel, uh, even though there are obvious discrepancies between the status of, of people within the squad, you know, that there are rules which are in place for everybody. So if you're the guy who's earning 350 grand a week, or you're the guy who's earning 3000 Thousand five hundred pounds a week. If you're supposed to be out on the training pitch at ten thirty, you're out on the training pitch at ten thirty. If you're not, you're getting the fine. Uh, you know whether it's a percentage of your wages or whatever it might be. You know that's what's that's what's going to happen. And those are the things that that help define you. Um, you know, is that separate from the culture of a club itself, or um, how much does that lead into? The playing style, could that be incorporated into culture, if you like? Because, you know, down the years, you've always heard about these clubs that play, you know, traditionally, supposedly really nice attacking football. You used to hear it a lot about West Ham, you know, the West Ham way. Uh, And even, you know... some other london clubs who've been associated with nice football even if for many years you know they haven't really achieved that um you know so how do you how do you um mix all those things together uh or can they be separate things like your team's culture your manager's culture your club culture or is there a need to sort of bring them all together under one one umbrella
2: I think what I spoke to is really around team performance, really a, t- a team culture. So, you know, you normally start with why we are here, you know, then we just build our trust, let's build our goals, let's understand what we're doing, and then how are going to go about that as a group? And then basically we push forward from there on and hopefully get to a place where we're performing in a high-performance type way. But then the type of things you'll talk about there, Andrew, may be things that are really around the identity of the club, right? So... Mm us being football people, we we identify certain clubs with how they play. Even down to now, we're so much more informed, down to the system by which they play. You mm. know, if I say Barcelona in the last 10 years, we all know straight away the system that they play. Yeah. Right? You know, the same for Man City in recent years. Right? And, and so, so I think that's something that we've potentially lacked. You know, I say we, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, We've potentially lacked. And I think we potentially gone through so many changes within the club that it's hard for us to identify what Arsenal really are on the pitch systemically Mm -hmm. because we've been challenging ourselves to try to mix a group of people together to find a system for them rather than the other way around. And then you look at the change off the pitch and then you think to yourself, well, what is our identity and culture there? Because it's those leaders that define that culture. right? So there's the key manager, coach, he will bring that culture into the team aspect, the playing aspect. So if you look at from a behaviour point of view, because of the, the change, is that culture strong? You look at off-the-pitch identity side of things, and you think about the duality of ownership, how that's changed, different chief execs, different scouts, different contracts, different head of football. Well, how can we have a strong culture off-the-pitch that's, that's just stable and sustained? Yeah. We can't possibly have, right? So, so this is where we are at the moment. We're looking at ourselves, or we should be looking at ourselves, in a very strong way, and asking ourselves what are we from a point of view, and what do we want to be from a culture point of view. And some of the situation we're seeing right now is we have maybe a group of players that have been here as long or longer than some of the leaders within the club. Yeah. yeah and I think that's where the duality and the fight is going on right now potentially depending on what you read and believe <laughs> um potentially we're having a bit of a struggle laying down a new culture versus the old culture and I think that is the holding pattern that we're in at the moment
1: Yeah I mean I think it that there's something there you know between culture and identity whether they're one and the same or whether they feed into each other I'm I'm not quite sure Because it feels like, you know, one of the things that Mikel Arteta talked about specifically was was changing the culture at the club. And, you know, regardless of what people think about him now or the job that he's doing now, I don't remember too many people uh, objecting to the idea that he might come in and be a little more hard. And I think that's kind of the message that we got from him when he talked about changing the culture. He talked about, you know, how we live at this football club, the work that we do, uh, so on and so forth. You know, I don't think there were too many people going, oh, these poor guys, don't go too hard on them. It was more about get out the biggest fucking stick you can find and start bashing it around, metaphorically speaking, or in certain cases, actually get a big fucking stick and hit some of them around the backside for all I care. But, you know... It's it's a difficult thing to implement because at a football club, we all know the old adage about how it's easier to sack a manager than sack the entire squad. Um, And there's a kind of safety net in there, isn't there, for, for players because they know, like more than likely, it's not going to be a case that six or eight of them are going to be out the door it's much easier just to get rid of one guy and bring in someone else who could try and squeeze a little bit more out of them. So coming into a club where where things have been ingrained, where, you know, it's comfortable, where there isn't the pressure to perform. And I don't just mean like in the 90 minutes. I'm talking very broadly here where you can underperform for lots of your Arsenal career and get a new contract or be yep. offered a new contract, or just go to the end of your contract if you feel like it, because, you know, why the hell not? I'm very well paid. I can just sit here and see how my contract, and and that's fine. And th- and that kind of thing is, is really difficult for, for any manager, and I don't just mean Mikel Arteta. If somebody else came in and tried to do the same thing tomorrow, I am quite sure that there would be a measure of pushback from some of the people who quite enjoy things the way they are
2: absolutely i think um when arteta came in he started talking about his non-negotiables which is the set of behaviors that we just spoke to yeah where, whichever they are to to them he didn't go into detail because personal to the dressing room but he did talk about his football blueprint he did speak about how he wanted to play be a possession team control the ball attack as much as possible i'm looking at the two things that i'm thinking great he's attacking the culture now he's talking about football that we all like, you know, nice buzzwords. Yeah. I'm thinking this is exactly what we need because of exactly what you alluded to there, Andrew. I was tired of seeing players come in, get well paid, and not have to produce. I was tired of seeing players hoodwink the fan base as they're coming towards end of their contracts, then walk out for free. You know? Mm. I was tired of seeing multiple mistakes on the football pitch by certain key players. You know, we'll argue to the end of our days about players' talent and potential, and we'll agree and disagree. But I think there were some major moments in our recent history that need to be addressed to show that within this culture, that's not okay. But they're still here. Yeah. And they're still here making the same mistakes. So what does that tell you about our culture, how our standards have fallen over the last few years? You can do these things, and you're still here. You can make huge mistakes, which cost this club European representation at the top table, and you're still here. You can disappear in certain games, and you're still here. You can give penalties away, and you're still here. You can throw your shirt down and tell the fans to do one, and you're still here. You know? Yeah. This all says, it's okay. It's okay. You can come to Arsenal. You can enjoy yourself in the centre of London. Go see a few museums playing a beautiful stage and a beautiful training ground, and it's okay to do that and you will still be here. It's okay to pop off to Dubai and come back and you'll play the next game. Mm. And this is the stuff we have to decide. Are we prepared to back someone who's going to challenge this in a consistent way, we hope, or are we just going to let this continue? And then it comes back to the question of, who do we trust to apply the standards and the culture that this club, in my opinion, so dearly needs before he even talked about producing good football.
1: Yeah, I mean look, I think it's you know, we have to talk about that phrase I think non-negotiables, it's a really good one. And I, I like it when a manager is is up front. But I think we also have to recognise that within football um it is a a complicated industry in that you're dealing with uh millionaires who are temperamental, egotistical, are told from minute one to minute, the end of the day, that they're great and everything about them is great. Um, and I'm not saying all footballers are like that. Some of them are, are you know, decent and humble people and, and, you know, but there are enough of those kind of characters Um to make it challenging for a manager, any manager. Yeah. You know, if Arsene Wenger had his challenges with certain players down the years, which he did, and he was a hugely, vastly experienced man who had, you know, a, a, a lot of dealings with a lot of players and a lot of different um, incidents, et cetera, et cetera. You know, if he had his incidents with players, a new manager is definitely going to have incidents with players and find things a, a little bit difficult. So the non-negotiables thing, great. But then you realize that actually it's kind of negotiable because of expediency because of the team you want to select at the weekend, because you think, Oh shit, this guy who's been a dickhead. I actually think I need him. Now, maybe that speaks a lot to the the makeup of the squad that you have, but you immediately find yourself having to, at least in the, the eyes of fans. uh, I think we should also recognize that we do not know, everything we have our view from the outside and on the inside things can be a lot less clear cut than we think or a lot more complicated than they appear to be so you yeah. know all of these things feed into the de- the decisions which isn't to defend them but just to try and understand them that that you 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 set it out in black and white this is what it is this is non-negotiable and all of a sudden people are saying well that that looks pretty fucking negotiable to me you know, it it it's it's a difficult it's a difficult thing to keep on top of, particularly when uh, like I said at the start, I think people bought into that in a really positive way because it's what a lot of us wanted to see.
2: Yeah, I, I definitely wanted to see. It. And I think the, the challenge is, you're absolutely right, we don't know everything, so we we don't know what these non negotiables are. But we can probably guess there are a set of good Behaviors, right? And bad behaviors. So,
1: do you think it's more? When, sorry, just to sorry to cut across. Yeah. I mean, do you it strikes me, you know, that it's probably more to do with how you behave yeah. at London Colney than what you do in your free time, per se?
2: I would definitely agree that within the team environment, within that culture, yeah. it's how you behave. And so, when I read a couple of things today about lateness and punctuality, yeah, yeah, that that is a worry, mate. That's a worry because that's a basic. Like, right, that is a basic. Um, the Ann thing, you know what? Well, it didn't. It didn't smell right, did it? Before that, no. That game, and then we sort of, I, you know, I tried to brush it aside. Him, must, there must have been a good reason, but there obviously wasn't. That doesn't feel right, right? So, and then people then once you show that little chink in your armor, then it's like, okay, what's what's non-negotiable then? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And um, mm-hmm. you leave yourself open. To critique you leave yourself open to critique from outside the club, even though we don't know everything. And it sounds like you leave yourself open to critique with inside the club who do know what the rules of the road are. And those rules of the road have to be applied in a consistent manner for the people that know what those rules are and live by them every single day. Yeah, remember, it's a situation. This is how we're going to not be, this is how we're going to live. That is exactly what we're talking about here. These are behavioral type rules of the road. And and I, again, if you're going to do it, you have to live it. If you're going to apply it, you have to apply it to everybody in a consistent manner. Now, the frayed edges, for me, they started to show at Leeds, funny enough, post-game interview um, about Pepe. That was the first time I thought, hmm, this doesn't feel very good. This feels like the pressure's starting to ramp up a little bit. And maybe there was issues before the game, which we maybe now were more aware of. So that to me was the moment when I think um, there were some questions being asked maybe going the other way from the players to the management and I think that's a a moment in time that we may look back on and say it started to go wrong there or was that the start of of a new turn where we actually come out of it although I'm sitting there feeling very doubtful about that today but I'm hoping that we can turn out of this hole that we're in and maybe that period we're just going through right now between Leeds and now is the period that he needs to come through, the club needs to come through to pivot for a new direction
1: Yeah, well look, I, I hope so, I you know um because I think part of the culture that exists at Arsenal, the one that we don't like, the one that we want to get rid of is in no small part because of a lack of um uh, Leadership seems like the wrong word, but something akin to that, in the sense that when Arsene Wenger was there, like he did things his own way, and he was, he was, um, you know, he he let some players away with more things than other players, and and all of that, we we know that. But yeah. there was a leader, there was somebody at the club who who you could look to and say he is the figurehead. And then we went through this period where. Um, I think the ownership, because they trusted Ivan Gazidis, they they put their eggs in his basket to assemble the the new structure post yeah. Wenger, and then he left, and then Mislintat left, and then Raúl had all the power, and then I don't think Raúl's uh. Tenure as director of football is going to go down in Arsenal history in a way that we'll see him get a statue, shall I put it like that? Um,
2: well, you won't be building it out of that. No, sure. I fucking won't.
1: <laughs> <laughs> or I'll be building it out of. Yeah, anyway, never mind. But you know what I mean? So th- there were. We've got to a point where the last 24 months or so, um, we've lost that leadership and there hasn't been anybody in charge if you like or the people who have been in charge have not been doing the right kind of job they've been doing things which are perhaps at odds with the kind of culture that you want to create and the people who are there and the players who are there have seen this and watched it and they go through the motions and and everything else and they don't have um accountability this is a word that you know i think we've used on the podcast, and I'm sure you guys have over uh, at the Arsenal Vision podcast, accountability, that when you behave in a certain way, whether it's on the pitch, off the pitch, there are consequences, or there at least appear to be consequences, you know? Um, so trying to implement or trying to put in place a, a new culture whereby it won't be tolerated if you do this or if you um, behave in a certain way, You're going to meet a lot of resistance. You're going to meet a lot of resistance. And it's going to cause conflicts. I think it is going to. And we've seen, I mean, it's amazing when you lay it out, um, you know, some of the issues that we have had under Mikel Arteta. And in some ways, it's easy to look at those and think, well, this is an inexperienced manager. Maybe somebody who is, you know, in time could turn out to be a better coach than a manager because the man management side of things is – is is a difficult part of it and you think well maybe he's not good at that maybe he's not good at this, this side of the job but maybe part of it um, is because when you try to change the way uh, your team and your players behave or what you expect from them and they kick back you don't really have any choice but to kind of be be hard
2: yeah I think it's just let me take it back a little way so yeah. to, with Wenger when he was there I, I was very much against him being all all powering particularly towards the end because I felt we were too much in bed with him the club was being running by his image you know he, I, I do feel that he definitely built the club in a way that suited him and then empowered his strengths and that's his prerogative as the leader of our club but everything about Arsenal was our set and I didn't like that I wanted it to be more federated so when we started to have our start to pull out our org charts and do you remember those? Right? When we start to pull out <laughs> our org charts, you know, my initial feeling was, yep, this is good. We've got layers in the club now, this is good. We haven't got a single point of it. Great. And then we put Emery in charge. And, and Emery did okay for a short period of time and then it fell apart in Baku. Right. So and then all of a sudden the behaviors that he put in place, people didn't like it, didn't like how he communicated, leads come in the dressing room. Uh, ex-players talk about the players don't know what he's talking about. You're done. You're gone. Yeah. See you, mate. Then Arteta comes in after Freddie's little period, and he comes in, and he comes in with Arsenal values. Great. Somebody we know. Um, we know him. He's played for us. Great. He's talking all the right things. But he's now he's now laying down a set of rules to his players. They're thinking, well, yeah, that's good, but I'm sorry, you're not Arsene Wenger. mm you're, you're not you're, you might want to be the single point failure. whether the club needed to do that or not and that's a debate it's a strong debate one I didn't really think much about when she did it but now looking back I'm thinking did you need to do that did you need to empower him so much because now you're laying him up against somebody who's the greatest manager in our history you're now saying we're going back to that model and yeah. by design you literally end up comparing the two and it's impossible to compare the two. One's in his first job and one has had a lifetime of management. And so you immediately create a, a, a tug of war, a duality between the old world and the new world. And there are still us playing players here. There are still players that have been signed by Emery. And some of them are not playing, not even at the club anymore. Mm. And suddenly we've got a situation where Arteta's come and he wants to, to plant his own culture on. He can't really buy that many players in the COVID market because we can't sell anybody. So he's coming hard, maybe expecting to make changes on the playing staff, but he actually can't. You know, no one wants to buy him. We can't sell. We haven't got masses of money. So a couple of free transfers are coming by our friendly agents, shall we say. Mm. And that they haven't helped the culture, in my opinion. They haven't helped us progress going forward. And so, in a situation where he's talking strong, we can't back it with action. So if you're gonna talk strong to people, they're thinking, well, I'm on the way out here, my livelihood's under threat. I better I'm starting to internalize there are a number of players in our club, in our dressing room, that have will have a year to go in the summer or will be out of conduct in the summer. We could easily see ten to twelve players leave this club. Those ten to twelve players right now, they know who they are. Mm. They know they know if they Do you think they're gonna be running themselves into the ground? Do you think they're gonna be talking about accepting these non-negotiables or then we're talking to our agents and internalised and looking for their next move. It's an incredible hotspot of a situation that he has to manage and some of that he's done himself. Some of that he's not been advised well by the club. Particularly, I asked myself a question I said the other day in the podcast. If we're offering Willian to this manager, we have to ask ourselves why we're doing that. If we're offering Cedric to him, why are we doing that? Why is this club doing that to him? Why are we? Why do we think we need to do that? I don't think we should be. Again, it comes back to our identity. We should be thinking about our playing identity going forward. Don't worry about, you know, why are we buying these experienced players? And why are we buying Lichstein and Socrates? Are we that bereft of leadership that we feel we have to go to these older guys to bring them into the club? Mm-hmm. David Louise? Is mm-hmm. that our perception on the street that we've got no leaders in the club, so we better get them in a the dressing room? That sort of stuff really concerns me, and he has to manage this, and I'm afraid at the moment he's, he's, he's failing yeah, because yeah, yeah. we're sitting there in 15th, me. Well, exactly. 18, yeah,
1: yeah, you can't. You can't back the results in, in any way. Um, but I do think where we are, what we've got, what we're dealing with, what he is trying to deal with is a consequence of not just the decisions that he has made since he took over, you know, almost a yep. year ago. I think what he is and what any manager would have to deal with, you know, are the, the, the guys like you say who've who've been part of the the Wenger era, um, who've been part of the Emery era, part of the Sanyei era, um all these eras, all these things working together, um people doing things their own way without any kind of defined strategy. And, and that's, you know, that's a a big issue for me is, is strategy. Um, I just want to ask you who you think should set the culture and the identity at a, at a football club, because at the moment we're looking at Mikel Arteta and, If it doesn't work for him or if it doesn't work out for him or if results keep going badly and the inevitable happens, we go back to the drawing board and we bring in somebody. I don't know who but somebody who's going to come in and have some ideas and who's going to want some players and specific kinds of players and want to play a specific kind of football. And then he realizes that, you know, he can't because he's got a squad that's bloated and kind of crap and he doesn't have the resources to do it. So he ends up doing the same thing that the other guys have done and he tries to fudge it around and make the best of what he's got, you know. Um, But we lose whatever culture... Arteta has tried to implement or whatever uh, change he's tried to implement. So you go back to square one and this is why I think the uh, there was I don't know if you saw this the the fans forum meeting during the week where Vinay and Edu were talking and they were saying that they're going to bring somebody into to replace Husfami, who did the contracts. Uh, yep. Two weeks to the transfer window opens, and there's some contractual issues pressing anyway, guys. You might want to get that time. guy in. Yeah, yeah. Time, No right. rush here, guys. Don't worry about it. But they're not going to get somebody to replace Raul Senyahi, because the power that Senyahi had was divested into uh, Arteta and Edu. You know, is there not a need for that to be set from higher up? That that okay. This is how we're going to play. Yeah. These are the players that we feel as a club we need to help us play that way. Not the not the player that the agent mates brought in. Not those guys. The easy signings to make. The deals which benefit the player and the agents and maybe other people far more than they benefit the football club and the team. That's not what we do. This is how we're going to play. These are the players that we're going to play it with. And you, you're going to pick the team, you're going to manage the team, and when results are good, we're going to love you. And when results are bad, we're going to get somebody else in. And they're going to use these players, but we know the players that we have. And whoever's coming in knows the players that we have and knows what's expected from them. And this is where I worry a lot about how many eggs we've put in the Arteta Edu basket. You know, I know they've barely had a window. They had the end of the last window after Sanye, um left and, and it was a crazy market because of COVID and everything else. And logic would tell you maybe, you know, you need more than one window to put things right and to bring in the kind of players that you want. Um, but, you know, deals like Partey and Gabriel are, are promising and they make you think, okay. And then deals like Willian make you wonder... It's just going to be kind of more of the same. So, you know, is there not a danger of putting too many eggs in, in the, the Arteta basket? So if, when inevitably at some point he has to go, and I'm not saying it should be next week, uh, you know, it could be a while from now. Um, I'd like to see us win games again and turn things around. But But when that happens, you don't have that being set from on high, unless that's Edu's role, do you
2: think? Well, yeah, I'm sure if the club are listening to this, then they could well be. (laughs) They'll be thinking, well, we've got Eddie to do that role. We've got Eddie to do that role. But you know what? The fact you're asking me that question means you're not convinced. And how can we be convinced? Mm. Somebody that's quite young and experienced, and I'm not against youth, by the way. I think it's good that we've got fresh youth in the club. The club has been aged historically, and I wasn't a fan of that. So I'm really glad that we freshen things up. But it's freshening things up and it's overexposing people. Right, so we're yeah. overexposed to Arteta, because we put too many eggs in that basket. And Edou's got, you know, a, a, a young exec, lots of good track record in South America, not much track record in Europe. Well, last time I looked, we played in Europe. You know, we're trying to sort that one out. We played in Europe. So I'm thinking, well, actually, the Raoul, we lost Raoul, and maybe that's the more important role to fill than the head of contracts guy. The head of contracts guy could be, you know, I don't care what his name is, mm. right? As long as you do that job. But we need. I do think we need a more visible leg to this chair. That third leg needs to be somebody of stature because it creates a protected state for your club. It, it creates some sustainability. So there I was a few months ago watching us jump around Wembley and join ourselves. At no point in that moment did I think we'd be here now. No point. No, and it's obvious that the club felt the same. Right? so And everything was rosy. And so we've overinvested. This is just classic. You've got to mitigate that risk. If something was to go wrong, then what? You know, and we haven't done that. We haven't acted like a proper organisation. And I finally wanted to trim the club down. Finally wanted to get some people out. We weren't against any of that. Um, but think about how you're going to go, go forward. If we lose five home games on a trot, which we nearly just did, and the fans are in uproar, then what? Mm. You know, that's that's how you run a sports organisation. You can't have when players and agents see this. By the way, if they look around and see the shambles going on, they're gonna they're gonna take the Mickey. They're gonna be. You heard me say about opportunities before. We've been Oof. we've been riddled with opportunities over the last few years. Yeah, just absolutely riddled with, it. and we've just allowed them to walk into our club, knock down the front door, and take our money out. Just literally take our money out, laughing. Sell us a little dream. It's like they're walking in, sending us double glazing. Get out! I don't want it. I don't want it. I want to do my own way. We've, we're sitting around taking Chelsea's ex This is not the culture and the identity of an elite football club. It needs to change, you know. And and some of that is football decisions, and some of that is the identity and the culture by which we're viewed and perceived. And and when you start to stack it up and read it and read the changes and read the things that we've done wrong, read the things that haven't worked out for us, um, it's a a long list, mate, and it's pretty damning.
1: I think this is a really interesting aspect of it because, you know, I think we still, and maybe people at the club still think of us as a Champions League club, but we haven't been a Champions League club for, what, four years now? Yeah. Um, we, we make decisions like we still think we're a Champions League club we make decisions which are in isolation I think justifiable but it, as part of a wider strategy if you can call it a strategy because I don't think it is I think there's a lot of kind of making shit up on the spot when it comes to to our recruitment and, and things like that you know they, they just don't stack up and they don't produce what you need them to produce. So is it kind of, is the way forward tied in with the need to step back and think about and accept what we actually are now and put in place a plan, a strategy for what we want to be again? Because if we keep behaving like a Champions League club even though we're not. We're never going to get back to, if that's the promised land or whatever it is, we are never going to get back there. Yep. You know, you can't make any kind of progress without at least acknowledging that things are not what they used to be, that we are not the football club that that we were told we would be. How many times? You know, we could do things that excite you. We're going to compete with the likes of Bayern Munich, et cetera, et cetera. We are so far removed from that now that there's almost, I know to use your phrase, you know, blow it up, but there is a need to kind of press the reset button. And even in our heads as fans, and it's a difficult one to accept. It is a difficult one to accept when you spend so long in those those upper echelons, when it's now gone so far down the road that you kind of need to turn back and and just kind of retrace your steps and think, well, how the fuck did I get here? How do I get to where I want to go? You know, we have to think about what we want to be, not what we used to be.
2: I absolutely agree. I think what we need to do is get used to this word called acceptance. We have to accept who we are and where we are right now, not who we used to be, Mm. not who we've been historically, Acceptance. So it's much like anybody who's, who's facing any problems in life, you have to accept you have a problem, mm. right? You, you know, and sometimes you know if you, you uh, when people are struggling with alcohol or struggling with things, addictions or things like that, it's it's a real struggle. It's a real struggle, and so it's almost like every now and again, we we pop down the off licence and go and do something that we used to do, you know, with a, with a deal or a contract. That's not really what we should be doing. You know, based on where we are, based on where the club is strategically, based on our dressing room, based on our contract situation, we we really are struggling with our own selves at the moment. And it, and it's hard. It's really hard, Andrew. We've been around a few. We've done a few laps between us, right? We've been around. <laughs> yeah. We've been, we've seen some. We've seen some good and bad times, right? No, yeah. no drama. I've seen some really good times. Really good times. And. I've I've seen this for a little while now. I've just been a bit concerned about some of the things I understand, like the football side of things, you know, the, the choices of players, you know, when you choose certain players and you choose another one, it's very similar. And then another one that's even more similar. A minute here. The game's moving on. Yeah, I, I can challenge that because I can see that on the football pitch. That's just, and I will do that forever, right? But it's like, I just feel, okay, we're here. We have to accept we're here. And to be fair to Arteta, he has, it, a lot of these noises have been, We've got a long way to go. Mm. We are not where we need to be. Even when we're winning, he was saying now, I'm thinking, tell me, I'm ready for Champions Leagues. Be quiet. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) So I struggle with acceptance too, you know? And he gets there, We've got a long way to go. Then you turn around and you look inside. And you've got to ask yourself, Okay, we are here and we've been here. This is a five year issue minimum. That's why we're here. We have to pivot. We have to change. The next job, Andrew, you know I mentioned blow it up about two years ago. Yeah. The next job is a blow it up job. There's nothing else to do, right? The next person that comes in, if our Arteta doesn't survive, the job is clear. What's he going to do? Is he going to modicul all this and give him new contracts? No chance. They're gone, aren't they? Mm. The next job is absolutely clear. It's clear, much clearer than when Emery had it, when we when we half and halfed and weren't sure if he's going to be the right person or not until he wasn't. This job now, right from now to the summer, is clear as you could ever imagine a job to be. There is only one thing to do, change the playing squad. And then from there in, you can create a culture based on the people that you've hired Yeah. Not the people someone else has hired, which is really challenging.
1: Yeah, I was I was listening to you guys talk about Munchy and what he did at Sevilla and the idea that, you know, it takes a long time to rebuild a squad makes a lot of sense, but uh, you can also do it quite quickly if you're smart and if you've got the right people in place. Absolutely. And you look at what's coming up next summer, right? And you look at who who potentially is going to go. Like we assume Mesadosil is going to go. We assume that Mustafi will go, Socrates will go, David Luiz will go. There's three quarters of a million pounds per week off your wage bill. Then you look at players like Kalasinac like Shaka, who should go, you yeah. know, if, if, if he stays beyond next summer, then we are not learning the lessons that we need to learn. Um, someone like Danny Ceballos, unless, you know, he uh, pulls it out of the bag between now and, and next June, he should go and back to, back to Real Madrid. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of churn, a lot of churn, naturally. I think we may have to push the boat out a little bit to sell Shaka or or Kalasinac because you know they may not get the kind of offers um, which are commensurate with the wages that they're on at Arsenal. Um, certainly, that's one of the reasons why it was difficult to move Kalasinac uh, last summer or in the last transfer window. But you know you're looking at then having to either bring in or promote. A lot of young players or a lot of new players and this is where this is where I think it's really important for Arsenal to have a genuine a genuine plan. A real, proper Dyed in the wall fucking nailed on plan about how we are going to rebuild. Because yeah. we can't just get to next summer and go, Oh shit, all these guys. Uh right, who are we gonna Who are we going to bring in? But when it comes to recruitment, obviously the players you bring in from your academy are going to be young, but when it comes to recruitment, you can't keep doing the Louise thing, the Willian thing, you know, the Lichsteiner thing, the Socrates thing, the Cedric thing. You just cannot do that if you want to be... Um, if you actually genuinely are interested in rebuilding and improving you have to you have to target the market to bring in young talent it doesn't have to be eighteen doesn't have to be nineteen you know you can look at players in their early twenties who 've got plenty of experience you know and and that should be the focus of our recruitment uh, as far as i'm concerned um, it 's about whether or not the people who are in charge right now are still going to be in charge next summer and if they're not then who's putting in place their plan you know this is what yeah. worries me about it going wrong it's not so much that i'm i'm like overly invested in Mikel Arteta. Like a lot of people, I, I feel uh, warm towards him because of his time as a captain and because of winning the FA Cup and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, what I want is my football club to be successful and my team to be successful. And, you know, uh, if there are casualties along the way at the playing staff or at managerial level, so be it. That's part and parcel. That's it's all in the game, you know? But... Yeah. The the worry that I have is if we've gone down the road with Edu and Arteta's plan and they get canned or I don't know who's 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 making the decisions who's going to bring in the next guy what's Josh Kroenke going to do um, you know Josh Kroenke and Vinai with all due respect who's a, a business guy you know yeah. where is where is the the football brain if you like, and I know where it is at the moment. It's in, it's in Arteta, um, yeah. but it appears to be um, struggling a little bit right now, obviously.
2: It does. This is the uh, very similar conversation I had last night after our podcast. I said, it's not that I'm overly invested in Arteta, it's, but I don't trust anybody else. I don't know anybody else. So you're really in a situation where I'm in a situation of who do I trust to make the next steps? Mm. Right, there's, there's nobody left. <laughs> We've been cleaned out. There's nobody left. Who do I trust? Uh, the, the ownership has been absent. Who do I trust to take some of the biggest decisions in our recent history? Mm. Because that's where we are. You mentioned about eight players. So I can give you a few more. Lacazette in the last year of his contract. Yeah, 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 for sure. El-Nenny in the last year of his yeah. contract. I think Eddie's in the last year of his he contract. He is. Balogun's not even – he's well in the last year of his contract. So it's at all levels within the club. We have got some, we've got some major decisions to take. So it's not about who's doing a good job and who's not doing a good job. I want my club to be much better than it is today, much like everybody does. So who's going to take us there? Because if we fire everybody, there's nobody left. <laughs> but, you know, if Arteta goes, well, you know what, Eddie's part of that as well. So then he goes.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I'm, I'm very strongly of the opinion that if Arteta gets the sack, Edu should also get the sack.
2: Absolutely. And Edu's giving Arteta a little bit of support in the press every day. I'm thinking, mate, I hope you're not sitting too comfortable in your chair, because yeah. I'm looking at you. Yeah. You know, I'm looking at you. If anything, you're on a rockier ground than the manager is. If he gets free wins, he'll be fine. What about you? What are you doing? Mm. Your your period's coming up in January and in the summer. And you better be tip-top because a lots of people will, are looking at you very, very closely and will judge you in those periods. So you know, I wouldn't be looking down from my eye hall saying, I support this, I support that. You've got a big job to do. As far as I'm concerned, they're a partnership. So if one doesn't make it, they both don't make it. Then, Andrew, who's going to be looking after the team? Is it going to be the chef? Because the, <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not did, sure who else is there at the moment. Um, yeah, we had this question. The
1: we had this question for the Arscast X ray the other day and I, I meant to ask it of James. Uh, I apologize. Um I think it was on our Discord, but somebody's saying like if Arteta gets the sack, like, who takes temporary charge of the team? Like who's is it st- Steve Bold? I mean that's yeah. that's all that's all that's Steve, there.
2: Steve Bold and Per.
1: And Per Mertesacker, but you know, Per doesn't want to be that guy. He doesn't. You know, you could see how uncomfortable he was in the period where he he was trying to give some support to Freddie. And, you know, even then, when Freddie was the interim manager, all we had was her, the goalkeeping coach and, and fucking Doris, the tea lady on the bench beside him, you know? So if, and and again, look, I just want to be clear. I'm I'm not saying that if there's a big decision to be made, it shouldn't be made just because there isn't anyone there. But the fact that there isn't anyone there should be a significant worry, you
2: know? Yeah. Absolutely, I mean, there is a there's something called Lean Six Sigma where you have Lean organisations where you get more, we get less people to do more things, mm. and but we've we've really nailed that one. <laughs> we, we've nailed that one, and now we're in a situation where there's like it feels like there's two people left in the club. Yeah, and uh, that's what it feels like from here. I'm sure that's not, obviously it's not the case, but that's how it feels, and that is not healthy for any organisation to have that lack of um, depth and too much of a single point of failure. It's not helpful. We've done it for years. We've gone back to it because we felt comfortable with it. But how can you be comfortable? we I don't think I've sort of quite managed the fact that um, we've grown up as a club. So we've, we've grown into this organisation. We, we I think we became too bloated. But now we haven't quite managed the size of the club we actually are. We haven't quite known how to act. We would have been caught between two stools, between trying to be a little bit cute sometimes in transfer market, where we don't have to be. We can just be who we are. Mm. You know, buy you know, don't don't be cute, you know, just just buy Kante, don't buy Shaka. just buy Kante, pay his brother a couple of million quid, just buy him. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, because that'll benefit the club. You know what I mean? That'll benefit the club. Don't don't be swallowed up by your morals just do the right thing for the club you know and, um, and, and that's it's those type of things um, sometimes when I see those things in the press I think you know what I'm, I, I'm one of the reasons why I support Arsenal because of our values because of our morals and I think well, you know what I, that's great but every now and again you've got to say, well actually what do you want to be what do you want to be how elite do you want to be because other people are just doing what's required to be better
1: uh, yeah other football clubs are absolute bastards yeah they are yeah. bastards at every fucking level
2: and, and, we've, and we're trapped in our Arsenal morals, mate. Yeah. We're trapped in them.
1: Or we've yeah. just been bastards to ourselves, you know, and made yeah. the, the, the wrong decisions along the way. And I'll tell you, you know, one thing I think, um, not that it gives me great optimism, but I, I suspect over the last little while there has been some slight change at ownership level, and this isn't to back KSE or anything like it. But I think, you know, for a long time, they didn't have to worry. They didn't have yeah. to worry about anything. Really, it got a bit tetchy at the odd AGM, and Stan would sit there and he wouldn't say anything. And Arson would get up and he'd pick up the microphone and he, would you know, he'd captivate the room, you know, yeah. make everything better. And and you know whether people hated Wenger or whatever else, you know, when he stood up there and he talked, he's a convincing talker, and he, he you know, he yeah. said the right things, and people, you know, um, but they, you know, we kind of the consistency that we had as a football club meant they did not have to think. They didn't have to make decisions really. It was just like, well, we're top four the whole time, Champions League money is there, here's some money for transfers, go do it again. Oh look, we've won the cup, that's nice, we've won a trophy, we're winning, blah blah blah. And now over the last, you know, three years, four years, the trajectory is 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 obvious. Everyone can see it. Uh, You know, I think they, they kind of thought they could just trust Ivan to put things in place, but in doing so, like you say, we left ourselves open to opportunists and we've taken a big hit at the end of the day. This is a big organization that they own that they uh, like, I don't think some of the stuff that's happened behind the scenes will have gone down well with a big American corporate organization i 'll say that much, yeah, um, so it demands more from them now, it demands more, and I think we saw that with with Tim Lewis being appointed to uh, to the board as a non executive director you know uh, to provide yeah. some kind of some kind of oversight, so you know perhaps there is something to be um, i'm not sure if pleased about is is the right thing, but but some level of, of oversight um, that might push us can't be a bad thing.
2: Yeah. I'll see some of the, yeah, some of the accidents since he's been on board have been quite decisive. Right. And, um, yeah. And I, I, again, I I quite like them in, you know, in isolation. I think it's the right thing. We've, we've heard some of the chat in the background and it's the right thing, but how we build from here on in is not, you know, is up for debate. And, Did we need to overburden Arteta with that role? Because what it does now, it restricts our ability to manipulate the organisation appropriately. Because now you've said, we're here. So if we bring someone in over the top to be like a head of football, what does that mean to two other people who kill their careers? So you haven't given yourself any wiggle room. You can't, you know, how are you going to retitle the contracts guy? You know, what's that? So you've really said, this is who, you know, we're building the club's image in this guy, which is great. But if your centre backs don't like him, or your centre midfielders don't like this guy, then what? Right? And that's potentially what's happening right now. Right. Mm. So and that happens in a dressing room. A dressing room culture is something else, mate. You get eaten by it or not. And the like that dressing room at Emery, ate him alive. Just mm. checked out on him. Right in front of us. He took his money and off, he went. And, you know, whether you liked him or not, whether he could com- communicate with us or not, whether we believed his story or not. He wasn't a bad guy in the end, and he's showing that right now in his next job. Right now. All right. So, But he couldn't work with the group that he had. And that happens sometimes. You go to a job, you go to a firm. I don't fit this firm. It doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for me how I behave and how it doesn't allow me to thrive, so I need to be out of here. It doesn't work for me. And that happens in everyday life for everybody. And it doesn't mean you're a bad person. And, and it happened to Emory and the when we met him, is dressing room going to eat Arteta now? I don't know. And then we have to decide: Are we going to let that happen?
1: Yeah, well, that's it. Are you going to let the dressing room like it's? Uh, it's one of those things that, like, if they eat Arteta, they'll eat the next guy. You yeah, know, the next guy. And they'll eat the next guy and the next guy. Like, is there not a? Is there not? Uh, again, maybe it's not not right bringing it around to culture, but you know. Uh, and again, this uh, this really depends on results, you know, how a manager is perceived and everything else. So we're not overlooking yep. that. But, but do you need maybe, in order to change things, in order to affect the kind of change that you want, you've got to show that if you're the old guy, the experienced guy, the guy in the dressing room who's had the track record of falling out with this manager and that manager and that manager, mm-hmm. that like at this club, you're the one that's going to go. That footballers, they don't hold all the power or as much power as they like to think they do.
2: It, it's really important that I. you I often hear me talk about, you know, we need the serenity of results because we really do need some results in these two, three weeks. We really do because mm-hmm. this is getting serious. You know, every team seems better than us. I was Fulham them the other day and they look pretty good. <laughs> do you know what I mean I, I watched them honestly I, I watched them I know, they I look really good I'm thinking Crikey we killed Fulham on the first day of the season and now I'm looking at them they've got a shape they, they look fast they look athletic I'm thinking oh my god we've got to play Fulham I'll be worried do you know what I mean Cause that's mm. where we are right now that is where we are you know we managed to you know I was I was sort of relieved after the Southampton game but should I be relieved if I home point against Southampton well historically no it doesn't make sense but where we are right now, I feel relief was a appropriate emotion mm-hmm. last night, you know, and um, and so yeah, we're in a we're in a we're in a place, Andrew. are in a, we're in a place where we need some calm to allow us to accept who we are and deliver a plan to change this once and for all, you know. And the only way we're going to get calm is by getting points. And as soon as we get some points, then we can breathe and go. Okay, what are we going to do in January? Mm. What's the plan for the summer? We can get some movement. We're at behest of transfer windows, so we have to do things in January. We have to accelerate things. We have to make. And this is where we need do need support from ownership. We may have to wear some contract costs. We have to wear some loyalty payments. Let's not be too proud. Now we've got a club to maintain here. Yeah. Right. We've got a club to maintain and, and people are used to our club being where it is. We are built in a certain way. We have infrastructure. We have everything in place to be this club. We need to start being it. And now if we're gonna support this guy, we need to support him financially so he can make those decisions to remove those people out of the dressing room that are causing him trouble and and he needs to sharpen his game up. Right? Simple as that. Yeah. And and he needs. He's not. He's not all about the club. He, he's part of these decisions as well. He's a sharpest game, but I'm sure he will with a few results. But he doesn't get those results, mate. He will not be here. And that's it. Because the club comes first. And if he's and if he's not able to turn dressing room around to produce performances to produce results, then I'm afraid he like any other guy, he will he will pay the price.
1: Oh. It is mad. It's just mad like you. I did not expect to be here um, after what happened in the summer and winning the cup and everything else. But uh, I guess going back to that word acceptance that you used, um, it yeah. could be applied across the board here that the acceptance of what's happening in the very short term and the acceptance of what we need to do in the medium and long term um, are are equally important. Um, so yeah we'll wait and see big game of course this weekend against Everton away from home uh, can he return to his former club and, and take a win I hope so I hope so um, as ever Clive uh, great talking to you you know if people don't listen to the Arsenal Vision podcast they should it's a great podcast really interesting stuff um, uh, after every game so do check it out keep fingers crossed for the weekend Clive and we'll catch you soon thanks mate love
2: to chat cheers
1: Follow Clive on Twitter at ClivePAFC, that's at Clive P A F C, and he is part of the Arsenal Vision podcast crew, which you can find at arsenalvisionpodcast.com, and, of course, wherever you get your podcasts. We do have a big game on Saturday evening, of course, we travel to Goodison Park to take on Everton, who are playing better than us right now, but that... I think is applicable to pretty much every other football team on the planet. I don't just mean in English football, I mean everywhere. The Milton Keynes, under eights, third reserves would probably be a challenge for us right now. So uh, that's what we've got to contend with. Hopefully, fingers crossed, maybe, you never know. I'm talking myself into the idea that it might be okay. I'm not that convinced. I'm not that confident, but we will preview that game for Patreon members. Myself and Lewis Ambrose will do our usual Patreon preview pod. You can find it at patreon.com forward slash arsblog if you're a member. If you're not a member, you can sign up for just a five or a month. You get instant access to all the content and all the other Patreon benefits. Don't forget to check out Arsbiz Biz as well. ArsBiz.arsblog.com. I know we're getting close to Christmas, so maybe it won't work for Christmas shopping, but if you are looking to do some shopping uh, for anything at all, maybe you can help support a fellow Arsenal fan. We've got a list of hundreds of Arsenal fans who run their own businesses and services and everything else, and you can find them all at arsebiz.arseblog.com, all nicely filtered and categorized so you can find exactly what it is that you're looking for. Okay, we will leave it there. Thank you very much again for being here. Thanks for listening, for downloading, for all the comments and all the feedback. It's hugely appreciated by everybody here uh, who works on the site uh, james and i'll be here on monday with an arse cast extra fingers crossed man what we wouldn't give for a goodly morning so let's hope that somehow we can you know do that crazy thing that we used to do and win a game of football in the premier league let's see what happens enjoy your weekend talk to you on the next one until then cheers bye-bye
0: Not too worried about
2: these corners. I mean, it might come back to bite me here, but I think Tottenham have got the dominant dominancy in
1: the air there, you know. So, not sure anyone can get the head on the first ball for Liverpool, apart from that one. Oh, him! Oh, oh, it's Firmino goodness.
0: in the 90th minute. Wow, what a header. Not sure
1: anyone can get the head on the first ball for Liverpool,
2: Liverpool, Liverpool. What
1: a header. I think Tottenham have got the dominant in the you worried about
0: hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget